cultured guitarist. My name is Andromeda Al, and I have Kepler Casper Dasper with me. We're going astrological today. Again, again. And we have hey, a... Sp- I don't mind that one. I, well, I thought you'd like these ones. And, mm. you know, with us, not actually clarifying, clarifying whether he wanted a nickname or not, but he's getting one now, <laughs> is uh, a good buddy of mine, Mr. Sagittarius Seth from Night Owl Industries. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> right on. It's in the... In the uh, Astrological constellation. Uh, I'm I'm very pleased. I'm more into that, constellations yeah. than astrological these, things. So. None of these were offensive to me. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm just so happy. <laughs> the offensive ones are more fun for me. Mm. But, you know, eh, whatever. Right on. Well, Seth, how you doing, buddy? It's really awesome to have you on the show at long last. You're somebody I've been wanting to get on for quite a long time. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. You got a cool show going on, and you know, definitely glad to be a part of it. Awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Um, so we'll kick it off, man. I mean, uh, what do we, what do we have you go first, Seth? What's been going on music and guitar wise in your week? Well, uh, I mean, lately it's most of it about trying to get these Edison preamps, uh, out the door. Uh, we had some, uh, you know, we had some action on, I think it was bass talk or talk bass or, uh, you know, one of these, uh, bass blogs and, you know, some people said some nice stuff about them, and you know, I mean, sometimes that's what it takes, and they got a nice little boost. And you know, since then, it's been uh, tricky keeping them in stock, especially because now, you know, with the, with the virus and all this uh, stuff, uh, getting parts is a little slower. But you know, it's a, it's a good problem to have. Fortunately, I've been trying to you know keep those uh, keep those in stock. People have been digging those, which is nice. I've been uh, working on another amp. Um, you know, a couple of projects, but the main, you know, the main new thing is the, uh, the arcane synth. It was this, uh, weird synthesizer, uh, we've been kicking around and, uh, you know, that's a really oddball uh, project and it's not usually within the purview of what you might see from a pedal or amp maker, but you know, it's all music. It's all noise. It's all stuff that, you know, you turn a knob and makes a smile and, you know, it's got that much in common. So I dig it, man. That's awesome. Casper Dasper, what's been going on with you, man? Oh, um, yeah, a couple. Sorry, man. I was just like, <laughs> you're just a picture excited. of that arcane. It's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> saw the googly eyes. Um, this week, yeah, it's been, uh, been a pretty low key week for me. Uh, I had a little bit of, um, gear lust take over last week. So I'm just kind of <laughs> hitting the brakes <laughs> a little bit. Um, waiting on some stuff that I ordered. Still haven't gotten my pots for my guitar, or my Fop Star Gentleman Deluxe, or any of those things. So, it's a little bit frustrating to yeah, mail's a bit slower. Right mail's now. a bit slow. So I've been calling home from work, asking my kids if the if any packages arrived, and that's about the the extent of it. Playing some guitar, I've been you know that's about it. They yeah. did. Uh, I am struggling to enjoy the Boscatana. I hate to admit that out loud no. on the air, no, but be honest. the thing is complex. Um, I'm not one to read the instructions. Uh, <laughs> it comes with a an enormous instruction manual as most boss things do um so yeah it's been a, a struggle but i yeah. am uh i'm committed to trying I mean, you it. just i think you just got to get it set up so that like when you turn it on you have that clean channel going yeah it's it's getting down to programming it to do what i want it to do right out of the box and then metal with it later yeah um, and you came so close to a power supply today and then, oh yeah i and did then so the great shootout continues huh it, it is it's a 
I mean, you know what, listeners out there, uh, anybody listening to the show, if you want to get at us on our on our uh, socials, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, however, however you choose, I am stuck, really, really hard stuck between the uh, the True Tone CS12 and the Strymon Zuma as my as my power supply, and uh, I was literally hovering my finger over the confirm button today uh, on uh, online, but I just couldn't pull the trigger. So if you guys have any uh, any input on that, help me out here. I, I, what I love about this is that by the time this episode airs, you're probably going to have pulled the trigger on one. I don't think so. You don't think so? No, man. I, I, I think I came so close today, I came right up to the precipice, and then I went, and took a big break, step back, and a breath, and went, no, I have to think some more about this. So Both really fantastic I will, units. Yeah, they they really are, and it's, yeah. So help me out. Shoot us some messages. Let me know what you think. Um, those are the two to pick from. I've I've whittled it down. and. Uh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Today was a day. Today was a day. All right. But I've, I've, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the brakes. Okay. Yeah. I, I did, however, have a great long conversation, um, with uh, Sean from String Theory today. Yeah. About a pedal yeah, board. You're really gonna... hitting the brakes there, buddy. <laughs> totally. Your custom made pedal board that you're talking about. Ooh, and it's, it's a zinger. You guys are gonna like it. I'm gonna like it. <laughs> Anyhow, um, what about you, buddy? Um, I, I've been doing a, you know, I, I. I didn't like that the last couple episodes I hadn't been doing a whole lot, and that was like my answer was like, hey, I haven't been doing too much. Uh, guitar podcast host, but I don't play guitar. <clears throat> um, so I made it a point to like sit down with my stuff and uh, and reset up the pedal board because I got a couple of new uh, additions came in that I haven't hadn't put on the board properly right. yet. I had uh, ground control audio Amaterasu and. Um, I did a little swapsy dealy with uh, Kevin Schoen for a Doctor Scientist Tremolescence. Tremolescence, right? Is, uh, they don't, right. They don't make, make that those anymore. anymore. Yeah. No, I got one of those. Um, and I got them all set up on the board. Got all the uh, cabling and power around properly because uh, I was kind of doing the cheat thing where I just pulled my tuner off and stuck a pedal in there and messed around with the thing. But yeah, everything uh, everything's working good. It was nice to nice to play them. Quite nice to have a tremolo back on the board. Mm-hmm. Nice to have a little bit of modulation there, even uh, just a simple one. Right. Um, really enjoying playing that. And I managed to get quite addicted to playing. I was going to bring this up, dude. The, like, <laughs> the secret game on yeah. my Dr. Scientist Atmosphere pedal. If anybody watches our social, um, Al put a video up where he couldn't get past like two. <laughs> level two on this game and, and it's hard don't don't get me yeah. wrong it's a it's so, a hard game to play just a little background on that when you power up the doctor scientist atmosphere if you hold down the left button left foot switch button it goes into a secret menu where there's a little built-in game called flappy sigh which is basically just flappy bird with a doctor scientist uh jetpack guy skin on it yeah yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's really really hard mm-hmm and it's gotten to the point where I went from being lucky if I got to three or four, and now I have a high score of twenty-two. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and he, uh, Al keeps sending me these updates of his like his new high score, his new high, and I haven't even turned the darn thing on to play yeah. that silly game yet. Um, was, I've tried it here before. Last time we were recording, I that I got hooked on this. I know. Thing. Well, the first couple of pictures of like your high scores were that were my pedal. Yeah. And and it's just like I haven't even played the stupid thing, but. Uh, I intend to. This is going to be a challenge and a and a, a competition I, between you and I. No, no, no. I'm no, gonna, no. I want to take this another level higher. Oh. Oh, yeah. I've been thinking about this this week. So I, I'm putting the challenge out there to all Dr. Scientist Atmosphere owners. Mm. Your pal, Al, is hosting the first and probably only ever 
Oh, no. International Dr. Scientist Atmosphere Flappy Psy Competition. Tournament. Tournament. Tourney. <laughs> I don't know what the prize will be, but I'm going to host I'm going to host one and we're going to have like a a 24-hour period where you can post screenshots and we'll have to do it on your honor. Don't photoshop anything. Yeah. Um but you can post screenshots of your high score. We'll see who gets the highest one. I like <laughs> and it. And we'll find a prize for the winner. I don't know. But uh, uh, anyway, that's fun. <laughs> get off that dorky yeah. tangent. And uh let's talk to uh talk to Seth, man. Hello. So so glad so glad to have you, dude. Like, I think you and I first started chatting like a couple of years ago now. Right. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't long after we uh, debuted. Yeah. No. It was. It was, uh, it was around the. It was actually when we, I think when we put the Oscar preamp. Uh, yeah. Out. Um. Yeah. Like I think we first started talking. You had done a run of um, of your of your amps, and and you didn't do the cabs anymore. And, uh, so you were through that and, uh, I was, yeah, it was just as you were starting to like do the R and D on Oscar and, and stuff. And I got, uh, I think I got one of the second wave Oscars. Yeah. The blue ones. Yeah. You got the, uh, the blue ones, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which I love to pieces. It's a super cool little. I had the privilege of having <laughs> that pedal on my board or that preamp on my board for a while too. Yeah. I love that thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, uh, they're, they're cool little devices, you know? I mean, yeah. part of it was, you know, I mean, it's hard to go wrong. You build a pre, you know, a new preamp, as long as it's built correctly, it's going to, you know, it's going to sound proper. Um, but it was, you know, the challenge on that was obviously, you know, making it that small. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was the trickier part of that whole ordeal. And, you know, I, mean, you know, I don't think I've had something like pedal... Well, I don't, not it's not even a pedal per se. It's a preamp. You can use it on anything. Mm. Um, but I don't think I've ever had something on my board that got me more questions asked about it. Like, yeah. What is that little glowing <laughs> rocket on your board? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was uh, we, we you know I really enjoyed uh, building those, and you know the the main thing we we're, uh, were trying to get past with the whole Oscar and later with the Edison was that, you know usually you you have to have a big kind of you know, a wall wart or a big power supply, if you're going to get any kind of decent tone, you know, out of a tube pedal. Um, you know, so that was kind of the, the main idea was seeing if you could get something on your board, you know, that would give you a nice clean tube gain stage without having to have, you know, the the wart. Because like, I mean, you know, some of the some of the power supplies out of it, I use the power, you know, what's this, uh, I should know the name of it by now, I've had it on my board for so many years, you know, the DC bricks. Um, oh yeah, the uh, is it the Dunlop or the MXR? The Dunlop, yeah, I can't even think something power four. But anyway, you know, only some of them have the AC jacks on there, and even when they do, you want to you know set up your board right so the the wall warts not sticking out too far or whatever. So you know, I just always felt that the wall warts are you know are a pain in the butt. And, yeah, uh, fully. You know, it, so it's like, and for some pedals, it's it's worth it. You know, for a long time, I really liked the uh, the Effectrode uh, Blackbird. You know, I mean, uh, they're pricey, but those are those are awesome pedals. You yeah, know? you can only um, buy so many one spots to power each individual thing at its own individual needs, and right, right, exactly. And you know, and and, and that's because tubes, you know, inherently, you know, need more juice than you, you know, need for a transistor. But uh, you know, that was also part of the choice of which you know tube to use because you get you know. 
you get a bit more, you know, gain in out of a EF86 at the same, you know, the same levels when you would a 12AX7. And, you know, I personally like the sound of those tubes a lot more. You know, I mean, as a musician, I always played 12AX7 amps. You know, I love Soldano amps, you know, and mm-hmm. all the great Fender clean amps are all 12AX7 input sections for the most part. You know, it's only like, you know, boxes and things like that that used you know, a lot of EF-86s, but it's such a, you know, it's such a pretty sounding bottle, man, that, that, you know, and it happens to have the characteristic that when you're working with lower voltages, um, you know, it can, it can kind of do a better job of, of clean gain, you know, in, in some ways. I think even and, my, uh, uh, even my, what is that thing, the Pro Junior? That's got a yeah. 12AX7 yeah. stage, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's, they're... They sound great, I think, primarily for for distortion. You know, so obviously you get great clean sounds out of a Fender. You can't argue otherwise. But you know, head to head, I think between the two tubes, you know, at least you know, it's always personal preference when it comes to these types of things. But uh, if you look at hi-fi, you know, if you look at uh, what they use in microphones, you know, uh, applications like that, it's rarely, you know, it's rare that you're going to see a 12 ax you know. It's usually going to be an S6N1P, or you're going to have, you know, something you know more uh, geared, you know, towards a frequency response that, you know, I don't know, some people think is more pleasant. But um, anyway, the point being is just, you know, it was more suited to that application because it's nice to have a, you know, that that option on your board, and it's not a distortion pedal, which you know the the Blackbird is, and it's, that's an awesome distortion pedal. That Blackbird, I don't know if you got a chance to play it, but you know, the idea with uh, with the Edison and with the Oscar was just having, you know, a simple, clean, no frills gain stage, you know, to something to warm up yeah. your whole signal, give you a bit of gain, give you a nice, you know, a bit of punch to add to it. So. Which honestly, I love that approach. I mean, there's no shortage of people out there making high gain pedals with 12 AX sevens in them, mm. you know, kind of as the selling feature of the pedal, you know, the, um, Although that's getting to be less and less now, everybody's kind of going the going the the smaller route of like JFET stuff or or um, using LEDs to kind of simulate that. But mm. um, but it's still pretty common out there. So I I just loved your approach of with uh, with the Oscar and then later the the Edison of like using the EF eighty six to just not to to necessarily to be an overdrive or to be a just like a a gain. Uh, a high gain thing, but to be providing headroom and to be adding just a, a warming circuit, essentially, mm-hmm. um, which is predominantly what I did with my Oscar was just kind of got the volume to unit ear as close as I could get it um, and just let it kind of color the, the signal because I just loved the way it sounded coming out of that thing. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's, you know, it's the misconception sometimes people, you know, will call and uh, after they go, well, it's, you know, or they'll email me and they say, it's, you know, it, it raises the volume, you know, it's, it doesn't distort. I can't get it to distort. I'm like, well, you know, it's not really supposed to distort. It's, uh, you know, it's a thing that it can be a little bit confusing because if you use it with something else, you know, if you use it in front of an amp and you've got the amp set where the bias is on the edge of breakup, you know, and then you hit it, you know, you turn the, the pedal on, all of a sudden the amp's distorting. So you might think that it's the pedal doing it. Or if you put it in front of a fuzz pedal that's otherwise, you know, at that until you hit the Edison on before it, you know, the fuzz pedal is, is fairly clean. Like uh, a good example of that, the Electrofoods, you know, I use the German Warfare pedal that they have. 
And on its own, it's just kind of a nice, warm, you know, kind of jangly sounding, you know, uh, germanium drive. It's a killer pedal, you know. Yeah, but when, know. yeah, and when you, you know, when you put the Edison before it, all of a sudden it's this raging distortion pedal, you know. So it's like, I understand, you know, people sometimes will see those videos and see that, but um, the Edison itself isn't, and the Oscar, they're not, you know, they're not really distortion devices. You can overload them, you know, but the sound you're going to get, the type of distortion you're going to get out of that is way different than what a 12AX7 does, you know? It's, oh, yeah. To most, you know, to most people's ears, it sounds kind of like hard clipping, you know? So I, I really dug it. Like, I... Me too. One of the things I did quite a bit um, with the Oscar is, is has been to, like, uh, I was running it into a Rivera Chubster um, and just cranking that thing um, <laughs> on the on the clean channel of the Chubster because Riveras tend to come with pretty high gain overdrive channels and so you can get that twelve AX seven JCM eight hundred kind of British thing going on there pretty easily. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. found with uh, the the magic I was enjoying was like cranking the tube channel or the tube channel the the clean channel. Um, Maybe maybe probably eighty percent before breakup, and then using the Oscar to push everything just way over the top, and right. uh, it right. just had such a gutsy overdrive to it that was just full of all these rich overtones and mm. harmonics that I I can't I can't say I've ever heard a twelve AX seven sound like that, and it was a really neat color to get out of an amp that I had never heard before, and I had that amp for. Yeah, and then you know together, together they sound really nice. You know, it's a it's a great combination. Rivera makes great stuff. Um, if you have the Chubster, they made like a separate cab. It was like a bass cab. You remember that old thing called? Oh, the the Lost Low Bottom. Yeah, right, right. The self powered one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those things were awesome. Those were very cool. I got super into them. The idea of that um, back in the early two thousands, of course, the new metal era. (laughs) <laughs> and i could and nobody stocked those like i mean maybe somewhere like a huge city center but i didn't live near a huge city center at the time and so nobody was stocking these lost low bottom cabinets and they're a pretty niche product I, I understand why nobody had them and i wound up uh running my amps preamp section through a crossover and then out to you know sending the highs out to uh the power amp of the Rivera and thus a 412. And then the low frequencies uh, from the crossover, I was sending to uh, a self-powered bass bin for a PA. (laughs) (laughs) There's one of of those here, isn't there? Just to to get like, uh, try and feel what it would feel like to have one of those lost low bottom units. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's an interesting way to approach it. The using a crossover, you know, is uh, that's already, you know, a little bit outside of the norm. And yeah. you can do some cool stuff by splitting signals and, you know, sending different frequencies totally. in different directions. Well, Soundgarden used to do that back uh, back in their, I don't know if they did it in their later years um, before Cornell's passing, but uh, in the late 90s, the, or up until whenever they, they kind of went on hiatus there, they it was uh, kind of a semi-trade secret that they had been using crossovers to send, like, high frequencies to one set of marshals and low frequencies to, to another set of marshals and kind of EQing accordingly and stuff. And uh, I, thought, I always thought that was kind of interesting. Wow. No, I didn't know that, man. That is interesting. And I was, uh, I was a big fan of, you know, Targarden growing up, like everything from, uh, you know, the FOP, uh, what was it? Screaming Life EP. Mm. 
you know, all that stuff when it was still like really operatic, you know, something like <laughs> a higher pitch Robert Plant. But no, that was all good stuff. You know, and it's weird because like you dig into people's rig, all kinds of stuff has been done. I mean, uh, you know, if you look back at the Grateful Dead, they were using hi-fi amps, like Macintosh amps, you know, yeah. for the most part. In <laughs> so weird, eh? You know, and it's it's like for you know, for me that was like, wait a second, you know, because like as guitar players and bass players, you generally are looking for a frequency response that's more tailored to your instrument you know per se but you know that other approach of just having the full frequency range to play with you know and explore um you know was it was really cool that was actually one of the ideas behind the you know the two three amps and everything is that like you know if you look at early amps a lot of the reason they have the sound they do and the frequency response they do is because the cheaper parts you know they would use transformers that were in radios and tvs or whatever was available you know because they figured you know guitar is just a mid-range instrument so you know, because if you want to have full frequency range response from, you know, the lowest lows from basically, you know, 20 hertz all the way up to 20, you know, and 20 kilohertz, it's, you're going to need some serious transformer and some serious iron. And that's, you know, that's expensive. So yeah. it's like, you know, by using the cheaper stuff and making, you know, they kind of defined the guitar sound essentially that you hear in a lot of that stuff. But, uh, you know, I think that changed a lot, like with corn and with, you know, the Rivarians and all that kind of that movement to regain, you know, the low end. I think, uh, I think a lot of the reason people love when like those, you ever have a friend that like did the, uh, mercury magnetics transformer swap on their amp and they just come back just like, Oh my gosh, it's the best thing I've ever done. You know, I haven't done it personally. I played, you know, I was, I love Soldados. Like that's, that's my stuff, oh, man. Soldados. But, uh, oh. Oh, they're beautiful, you know, and I've heard of people doing it, but, you know, I had, I got the, uh, I think maybe they were too young, the ones I had. I, I played a Decatone for a long time, um, but, you know, iron is what, what matters. I mean, the, the frequency response and, you know, is ultimately, ultimately dictated, you know, by like using, you know, the, the, the parts that can, that can essentially carry all of those frequencies. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, so they, tell, they can yeah, make the difference. Uh... Let's go back to the two, the two, three amp. Cause uh, that was what first caught my eye and like really totally glommed me onto you. It was just like, I, your amp design was so mind bogglingly unique. I'd never <laughs> seen, I, first off the shape alone was just like, what the heck's going on there? Um, and then you just, it was, you had some cool, cool approach going on and tell, tell me about that. Well, I was, uh, you know, big into metal forming at the time and, uh, you know, and fabricating and stuff and, um, I had just, you know, I was looking at amps from the fifties and sixties, which was kind of like the inspiration. Um, you know, it's funny now you don't see it as much. I mean, you still see kits, but back then there was, you know, in popular mechanics and things like that, you would see kit amps all the time, you know? And when I wanted to teach myself how to, you know, to build, uh, that's what I was going to look. I was looking at these old manuals and popular mechanics and things like that, and these different manuals and I schematics. Think, so. Isn't uh, I think uh, the first Fender amp um, was a schematic that Leo got in a catalog with that he that was included with like General things electric. you could build with your General Electric tubes. <laughs> right, right. You know, it was they were fairly simple. Um, you know, designs. In fact, the tube amps are, are generally simpler in, in some total of parts and things, not always in the theory of the operation, which is like black magic when you get down to stuff like, you know, transformer design and stuff like that. But, um, you know, they're, they're fairly good sounding, simple designs. I mean, you know, there there's things that would be wildly like illegal as far as, you know, how they were built. Um, 
uh, as far as, you know, safety concerns that you couldn't do now. Um, but that was my interest. You know, I liked the old stuff and that's how I learned to, you know, kind of taught myself to build amps. And when it came to actually putting one together, yeah, you know, I looked at it and I just kept working on the shape and I would make it out of cardboard and I would refold it, you know, and then I would stare at it for a while. And that went on for months until, you know, the cardboard shape was, was what I wanted it to be. Um, then took, you know, those shapes and those ideas and uh, put them into Photoshop and designed them into panels, had those panels uh, water jet cut, you know, uh, had them sent to me and uh, basically bent them into shapes and, you know, bead rolled them and all those processes to get them, you know, into the form that uh, ended up being, you know, the amps you saw. So, you know, it was a labor of love on, on, on the real, man. I got killed, you know, on the financially doing them because it was just so much labor and so much money to get everything done. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're very nice looking amps, very nice sounding amps. Um, I was real proud of, you know, of how those came out. Oh man, I think you should be. I, I shared the heck out of those amps cause I was just so like in love with them and, and just, I, I, I think you did. I mean, it breaks my heart a little bit to hear that you got, uh, raked over the coals financially on them but um, oh dude i got pleased you know but the thing is it's like you're gonna spend you know that much time building each amp and then you know you have to go explain to somebody that you know they gotta spend x on a three watt amp and to people nowadays three watts doesn't sound like a whole lot you know because you know for a number of reasons a it's not that much but when you think of you know class a versus class a b versus you know uh, the way that people expect wattage now, where it's grossly misrepresented anyway, you know, it's it's something that's overall, you know, you can have a product that's it's great, and uh, but the audience for that type of thing is is fairly small, you know, and it's like yeah. to run, you got to move units, man. Yeah, yeah, which is which is always a it's a weird balance to strike, I, I imagine, for a lot of a lot of builders where you you want to make this this product that's adhering and, and pure to the, to the vision that inspired it but at the same time you gotta feed yourself and you know keep the lights on kind of a thing and and those two goals don't necessarily uh share a share a, a, a what a, a synergy there's the word oh, right. <laughs> you know and i mean if you're steve jobs and you can you know <laughs> lay it out like that massive you know mistakes or things that aren't accepted that's that's one thing but for the rest of humanity you know you you kind of have to make it work it's like the balance of doing something that you know is good and that you like aesthetically or musically sounding or think is interesting and you know and stuff that people want to buy it's like you know i mean i've, I've had problem i've had you know products that did well and i've had products that did you know badly it's it's kind of like you know, uh, the version, different versions of Q, for example, you know, each of them did, you know, did uh, fairly well, except for the, the wall version, you know, and it was kind of like for me in my own, you know, wacky head, I was like, yeah, you know, you know, wall pedal that, you know, is an EQ at the same time. And I thought, and I still think, you know, such a cool device, but didn't really do, you know, uh, commercially what, what I had hoped for. And it came back to the fact that's just not what people are looking for, man. And you got to know your market and you got to know what people are after. And even if you think, you know, you got some brilliant idea, it doesn't mean, you know, that anybody else is going to think so or that it's going to, you know, move units. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty brave and cool product. I, I you're one of those builders where I, I wish my uh, unfortunate poverty did not <laughs> impede my ability to shower you with financial love because I really like what you do. Pretty much every time. <laughs> I appreciate it. Man. Um, 
No, I think you just make cool choices, man. You make, uh, you know, there's the old adage of like, um, Leo Fender famously said when doing GNL, like all anybody ever wanted from him was another Strat and another Telly. And uh, we had Tim from Backline Guitars on recently, and he uh, kind of went there again where he said, you know, he, he'd been told because his Ronin uh, model wasn't doing as, as well as he'd hoped. And he'd had somebody advise him, like, well, I think people just want another Telly. They just, people always love Tellys. People always love Les Pauls. Um, and I think there's an unfortunate truth to that, but I also think that uh, the guitar world needs some bravery. Uh, that needs people that'll, you know, take a risk and put out a product that may, maybe it fails, but it gets everybody thinking a little bit differently. And I right. think uh, you, um, you do that consistently, and I think that's really cool. That's well, you know, uh, my only real, uh, I think. Uh, I'm not saying Objective. you fail consistently. I'm just saying you, 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 you're brave consistently. <laughs> I want to clarify that. Consistently brave. <laughs> you know, it's like I said, man, it's, you maintain the balance. You know, sometimes you think something is great and nobody else does. Sometimes you think something isn't going to do that well. And, you know, people end up really liking the version that you didn't think was as good as another version. You never know. You know, the one criteria that I, I've been trying to be observant of is like, I don't put something out there if I see somebody else doing something better. You know, like you might see, I don't, I haven't built any distortion pedals. I haven't built any delays. I haven't built any tremolos. Like I don't have any ideas for any of those pedals that are cooler than something I can go out and buy right now. Mm. You know, it's like, but what I can't buy is like a, an EQ that works like a wall. I can't buy a, a nine volt tube pedal that sounds good and give clean gain. You know, I can't buy an ultra like, you know, clean class a three watt power and it's like so it's like i feel you know i'm kind of selfish in that way and it's like i feel niches that like it's stuff that i think is cool you know that i would play myself but i don't see you know anybody else doing and sometimes either it's not happening because nobody else thought of it and sometimes not happening because nobody else wants it you know <laughs> uh, the trick is figuring out which one right well i for better or for worse man i appreciate it yeah yeah <laughs> i'm a i'm a um, big fan so the amp was the first thing? The amp was the first thing. It was going to be the only thing. You know, uh, I just loved that circuit. You know, I had started with, uh, you know, the circuit that was based on something I had seen in one of these early kit amps, you know, and actually a manual from 1955. And, you know, I kept modifying and tweaking it over the years until I felt like it was, you know, really something I could sell. And that's, you know, that's all it did for a bit. Um, and then I met, you know, Dunwich at the uh, first Fear the Riff uh, trade show and, you know, got along well with him and, uh, you know, I asked him because, you know, I was, I was wiring everything by hand. You know, I had no experience with PCBs. So, you know, I said, listen, I'll, I'll trade you an amp, you know, and made a deal. And uh, he, he designed a PCB for the, uh, you know, for the 2.3, for the second version of it. And, you know, that kind of led uh, us to work together on, uh, you know, well, basically, you know, I should say, I don't want to put myself at equal because that dude was brilliant. You know, it's like he is really, you know, a cutting edge mind when it comes to pedal design, you know. Um, but anyway, working with him is what got me, you know, into pedals in the first place. I was never really a big pedal guy, you know. I mean, I, I used on my board was a, uh, a watt pedal, you know, a tuner, a three channel switcher for the amp, you know, and uh, sometimes a delay. So, 
you know, I was, I liked some effects, but, you know, that kind of working relationship got me into building, you know, the preamps and the EQs, uh, which, you know, are the products that followed. Um, my, my question just fell out the side of my head. What you go I watched it happen. Yeah. <laughs> you see the light disappear in my yeah. eyes? It just went <laughs> glazed over like, uh, um. I've done that a lot on the show, too. Yeah. I mean, in real life. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I had a question as well, but you distracted me. I don't know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's a quality great. program. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to scroll back to the, the picture that I was looking at when it came up. Um, no, no, nope. nope. kind of, okay. Well, um, so after, after the, uh, the amp you did, um, it was the Oscar was, am I correct? Right. Yeah. Right, right. After the amp, it was Oscar and then the little Q, uh, module. Yeah. So tell me, tell me how you went, like what, why'd you go? Cause Oscar is a whole different ball of wax. It's not a pedal. No. Wow. It's not a pedal, you know, and at first I, I kind of, you know, I, I felt like when I was looking at people's setups, you know, and uh, the, the way the, the channel switching and, you know, those control surfaces were developing, I don't know, at the time I felt like, you know, people are moving towards a modular thing where you've got your switching and then you've got, you know, your effects separate. I mean, because it's kind of like if you look at the cycle of how, how things move in guitar rigs, it's like it used to be, you know, all the channels were on the amp. And for some people, that's still the deal. But in general, people are buying fewer amps and they're buying more pedals, you know. So now the, the trend, you know, moves towards cleaner amps and tons of different sounds on your pedal boards, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, like, I kind of felt like, you know, this is how it's going to be in the future is people will just switch everything and they'll have modules attached and maybe I'll build towards that end, you know. And also, I felt like 9 volts, you know, uh, I felt like if, if the new standard would be closer to be, you know, something like 18, or, I mean, I guess in general that, you know, having some higher headroom on your pedal board, you know, uh, would be useful in certain places, which is why Oscar and Q were both 18 volts, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on, which is, on that, though, like, on the, like, that 18-volt circuit and that, the, literally, the headroom and the clarity and the and the clean... Uh, tone that comes out of that is is it's pristine like it just it made for such a to my ears anyways uh, so much more um definition in the tone and the quality of the sound um it, it, albeit a bit of a challenge uh, to power um because yeah, <laughs> the, the oscar that al has ended up on my board for a little while and it was like oh man i don't have an 18 volt power supply how am i going right. to do this right Right. Um, so uh i think i can't even remember how i ended up doing it at the time but um made it work out it, but it's just so much uh more definition i think than say uh being uh a nine volt uh does that make sense yeah and i mean that's why i don't know if when i shipped yours we had started doing it yet but we started sending those y cables where you know you just use two of your yeah, uh no, two I, of the nine i was a connect. little before that i was I, when i saw you doing that i was like oh man that's such a good idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe we should have thought of that earlier but you know it's uh you know well the, the thing is that's why you know when we did edison we stopped making oscar because it's like headroom you know is is really nice to have and when you get you know the, the edison uses a voltage tripler and, and so 
I mean, sometimes you don't want headroom, you know, I mean, if you're distorting something, that's what distortion is, you know, you're running out of headroom and you're, you're going above that, and that, you know, and then once you run out of headroom, you start to distort. So it's not always what you want, but when in certain applications, you know, like the farther that, you know, it's kind of like uh, if you're playing your instrument, you know, it gives you a wider range of how soft or how loud you can get, which is huge, you know, dynamic expression is half of, of half of music, you know, you've got which notes you play in rhythm, whatever, but a massive part of music is dynamic expression. You know, the difference between the quietest parts and the loudest parts, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which tends to get lost today in the super compressed, squashed, you know, recordings, but uh, it's an essential part. So it's like when you have more headroom available in your signal, especially in your clean signal, you know, available at your pedal board, it, it does allow you, you know, some emotional kind of expression through your instrument that you can't get, you know, yeah, really, maybe to a small degree, but in the end, it just gives you a wider range, you know, to express, you know, what you're what you're trying to say. Because changes in volume are just as big of an expressive tool as you know as other things are. Right. So you're saying that inside the Edison has a voltage tripler, so it really, in essence, is still running 18 volts at its core, but you're only powering it with a nine volt source, correct? Well, uh, it's. Two things. Uh, first, than that. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you guys, it's just twenty-seven, man. You know, nine times three. Uh, <laughs> so you've got, you know, we do guitar mediocre. We, and d- math we, bad. we, we dumb monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> but effectively, since you know they say nine volt, but most of these supplies, you know, just about every supply. If you actually, you know, see what's coming out of there, you're usually at like nine point two, nine point three. And, you know, what's cool is that that puts, you know, so the effective uh, voltage, you know, inside, if you're actually to check inside of, you know, the, the Edison when it's running is around 28 to 29. Mm, um, okay. You know, so it's, you know, and that's, that's why if like, you know, you touch inside or you even touch the glass in front of it, I think it's hot, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the fortunate things is that, you know, it's, it's a high enough voltage to give you a good tube tone, but um, the reason people don't use EF86s in general is because they're microphonic. And the minute you really run them at the voltage, like so many of them are noisy as hell. Uh, so, you know, one of the advantages of running them at those lower voltages, even though some people say, oh, you can't run a tube lower voltage. One of the advantages, especially with the F86, is that it's not microphonic. You don't hear things rattling. Um, hmm. But you're talking about, you know, again, the headroom that's provided by having, you know, 27, 28, 29 volts at your disposal versus nine. Yeah. Cool. Um... Well, I think it's it's a neat trade-off. And and uh, something I'm seeing done more, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, you buy a Volkswagen Beetle, suddenly you see Volkswagen Beetles driving around a lot more kind of an effect, or whether it's a, uh, a shift in trends that I'm seeing a lot more of. But it seems like uh, I am noticing a lot more people using internal voltage doubling um, to kind of get some of that headroom and stuff. And that, and that goes back to, like, the Klon era where you'd have uh, guys starting to do that, but it wasn't, uh, it doesn't seem as prevalent as maybe I, it seems like it is now, but I, I see it in a few things. I know Dr. Scientist does that on a couple of their pedals. They, they internally double the voltage. Um, so you can use 18, but they'll also use nine volt. Um, there's a few people out there doing things I think like it'll, that. those will do nine, 12 and 18. I think so. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, again, it depends what you're after, but it's also, you know, the tricky thing is, is like the order, you know, if let's say you've got a device that has a bunch of headroom, but what if you've got a pedal after that, that doesn't, you know, then you might, you might end up distorting that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's something where like 
the, the Edison sounds, uh, you know, to me, the best is like before an amp or before another pedal, you know, that's like a distortion pedal or something like that. Um, like because, you know, first it, in the it, chain kind of a thing? First in the chain, you know, and sometimes like you can crank it all the way with, with no issues, but if you've got some pedals, it might, you know, um, like that you don't want to distort, you know, some, some pedals could possibly, but I guess the idea, I mean, the point is that, you know, you've got different, uh, different headrooms. Like ideally it's like when we did Q, you know, Q is also used the same voltage tripling circuit and Q was meant to go at the end, you know, of your, of your pedal board, essentially of your signal chain, because, you know, that has the headroom to let all that other stuff through. Whereas if you put Q and Oscar first in your chain, and everything that comes after that was just getting blasted, you know, it was just, it was, just, you know, so that was the issue, especially when I was trying to combine them and, you know, in a way that I really thought sounded good as one instrument, you know, Q and, uh, and Edison. Um, but again, it depends, you know, with the environment you're operating uh, with voltage wise, it's like, you know, if they're the only things on your pedal board, it's no issue. But if you've got, you know, something that can handle really, really loud sounds in front of something that can't handle really loud sounds, you know, it's going to overload. This is why we need to talk to people who are smarter than us. Kind of. <laughs> that's what I, was just no, I think that, this that's is... a stretch. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So would you like, would Oscar or Oscar, sorry, would Edison kind of be the, would you say that was your hit? Cause it seems like it was an explosive hit for you. Yeah. Edison has definitely done more than all the other ones combined, man. You know, it was, uh, it's you know, been real fortunate with that one. And, uh, you know, this damn virus has slowed everything down and, you know, waiting for parts and yada, yada, but, uh, it's a solid product. And again, we had some, you know, we had some nice mentions in the, uh, it's strange you design something and again you never know your audience i designed it for guitar because i like down tuned guitars and i like you know really thick bass on my guitar tones um but the ended up being a you know a hit with bass players and i would say you know at least like 70 80 of the units out there in the last year are you know for bass players and they're starting to you know be the bigger market of it so everybody's liking that doom metal yeah yeah <laughs> doth it doom doth it <laughs> um so i mean a lot of the edison is is you know based off of the the idea that the oscar was but was is or is that true is it just a foot switchable type of extension of what you created with the oscar and then that's it you know it's really that's really it it's basically you take an oscar you know instead of having uh essentially the, the oscar was biased for 18 volts you know mm -hmm. operation um, but with, you know, but it ended up being a kind of a better way to do it for Edison to, to raise the, uh, you know, the overall the voltage was to use a nine volt because, you know, in a tube, you got a bunch of different elements to basically keep it simple. You know, the ones, the heaters, which are, you know, heating up your cathode, those are running at six volts, right? And so six volts is a whole lot closer to nine volts than it is, you know, 18. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't want to bring 18 volts uh, down to six if you can, you know, if you can avoid doing it. So the way that worked best, at least for that, was, you know, um, using actual nine volt supply. So, you know, it, it worked out really well because it's something you can plug into a nine volt. And I think that's a huge part of the success. I think like if you had to use, you know, uh, I think if you had to use a big wall wart to power the Edison, it wouldn't do nearly as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a smart call. <laughs> Uh, I've definitely ditched pedals off of my pedal board because I'm trying to eliminate power supplies. I still keep the pedal around, but mm. 
It's, well, it's you know, annoying for me on tour to have to worry about multiple power wall warts essentially underneath on my power bar, underneath the pedal board. Uh, everything just staying hunky dory and not having an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's a difference, man, between how you you know, like I, I got armies of pedals at home, you know, and I want to geek out and make all kinds of noises. There's all kinds of stuff you can hook up. But then there's what like, you know what you take on the road. You go on the road, you don't want to be tap dancing, especially if you're like you know, like you, you're singing, you know, you're keeping up with a few different things at once. You don't want to be you know looking down at like you know the the space ship uh, Galactica or whatever they call it to figure out you know what you're <laughs> like. Yeah, you know, like for me, like I said, for you know most of the time, you know that I that I played live, it was it was my pedal board was a channel switcher, a tuner, a wall. You know, which uh, I don't think are, I don't think anybody plays walls anymore. I think there's, I don't know. You know what? I think Kirk Hammett kind of overdid it for all of us. <laughs> yeah, he like he wanted them for like two decades. Like, well, like just yeah, like was he, I think there's three a, decades of just like, hey, what are you gonna do on this solo, Kirk? Is it gonna be wah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gonna you gonna boost and then sweep a wah? So uh, <laughs> I think that the sound still has a place. Um, but it's just not as it's not the, the sound of the air of the age. It's not now. the trendy pedal right now yeah. by yeah. a wide degree. Yeah, I, I still I, love. Uh, I can't say I hate it. Not gonna lie, I don't hate the sound no. of wah, and I. Yeah, I love uh, I love a cocked wah. Mm. The and then that's definitely the like the old tool fan in, inside me that just can't get enough of that sound. I I will. Every time I see a Hendrix model wah from Dunlop, I'm just like, ooh, that's a great wah. I still <laughs> love that wah. It's just, well, the cocktail kind of works cool, but as like a temporary thing, you know, like you kind of get up and you leave it there, but then you know at some point you're gonna go full on and like you know it's yeah it's that kind yeah. of temporary Dude, break or it's like that telephony type of thing before the onslaught, you know that's what makes that's it cool. the <laughs> that's the that's the warm me up before you kick it. <laughs> you made that face. We're like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. I was going to make an inappropriate joke. But but, not, but better you don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the face before every prom date goes wrong. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to not. I was too funny. I had to, man. <laughs> boy, oh boy. So, okay. So we, 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 I think the only thing we haven't touched on yet, man, and I, I'm really eager to get to, um, you gotta, you gotta tell us about the synth, dude. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've been watching you post your, your build updates and, and just the fact that you even you were even doing a synth was just like, oh my gosh, Seth is amazing. <laughs> so tell when, me about that journey. So, you know, I mean, I've always been kind of a noise geek, you know, anything that makes a cool noise I'm interested in. And, uh, you know, so I always used to buy anytime I saw on eBay or Reverb or something, some small noise box and tinkering, you know, like you turn a few noses, oscillators, filters, and, uh, I, I, you know, I got into that, but the thing that I never, uh, you know, liked was that it's no fun to turn knobs as a way to play an instrument. You know, it's something that, uh, is, you know, that's what's kind of boring about being like a synth guy. You know, you sit there, you turn a knob, you wait eight bars, 16 bars, 64 bars, you know, you turn another knob and you wait, you know, to generalize or poke fun at them. I mean, I am building a synth, you know, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, the idea was like that's not a way to play an instrument, and you know I felt like if I could kind of combine you know 
the, the fun of playing an arcade game with the cool weird noises you get out of some of those uh some of those you know especially the square wave based you know 808 sounding like really i don't know glitchy kind of like uh the sounds like you would see on things like the atari noise synth and just some of the noise boxes um you know of that era like i would say like late 80s early 90s or whatever and a lot of the stuff was offered in kits you know which comes back to that's where you know i, I start uh in the basis, I'm a kit builder, and that's how I got my start with everything. You know, I build kits of anything I get my hands on, so that's where a lot of these ideas sprung from. And you know, when it came to synths, um, you know, I had this one circuit I really like to play with, and I said, "But how do you know? How can I make this something that's playable? You know, how, how could this be usable in a musical format? You know, without it, you having a learning curve of learning, you know, musical keys and sharps and flats and circles and fifths and yada yada, you know, and." I'd always been a fan of uh, of arcade games, and I figured, you know, the, combining the the playability of the arcade buttons um, with the fun and simplicity of those two knob, you know, synthesizers and noisemakers, was kind of you know the genesis of it. It's like I, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes you pick up your guitar and nothing's happening, and you just suck, and you're just like, man, why do I even play music, and what am I doing, you know? And uh, the best thing yeah, I found, I only yeah, do that sometimes, I only, I only, yeah, <laughs> like like only like once a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so out of those moments, I was like, all right, well, you know, there's got to be something else I can suck at. So you know, I would pick up the <laughs> you know, another noise box, and you know, that's kind of the idea here. Is like even now, if I'm picking up my guitar and nothing is coming out, I'm just not getting, you know, my my moment with my instrument is just, I'm not getting to that place, man. You know, I'll pick up the synth and, uh, you know, maybe it happens with that. Maybe it doesn't, you know, it's just kind of, you'll, you'll noodle around with all your toys to kind of get your fix, you know, to kind of get to like a place musically where you're, you know, you're happy and you're getting the response from your instrument that you want, you know? Mm. And sometimes I do like a, a synth or whatever, but you know, that, that was the approach is taking the fun of those noisemakers and, uh, kind of square way of synths and combining it with, you know, kind of the goofy playability of something like an arcade game. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I love that, man. And it looks like, it looks like, honestly, the the first time I saw your, your, your kind of, I mean, it's not completed per se yet, but kind of the general idea of what you were, you were getting at. The first time I saw that, I was just like, it just reminded me of being a, a kid and going to the arcade and trying to, and losing to a street fighter to, with the, uh, <laughs> all the teenagers that were, you know, knew all the button combinations and stuff. <laughs> fantastically fun looking synthesizer. And and you're right. It, it, it looks more interesting for me than, uh, than say a, a Dave Smith mofo, which is a great synth. Um, but if you're not playing the mofo deluxe and there's, there's no keyboard on it, it's just a little, little barrel of knobs with a, a, a drone button. Yeah. Well, also, it's like when you have a, a, when you have an interface that you're not comfortable with, or that you know many other people are comfortable with, you feel at a disadvantage, and you feel like I'm never going to make anything so original that somebody else hasn't done. Because I mean, hell, you know, I'm not Chopin, and you know, it's kind of like you know when you're dealing with a keyboard that you're at such a historical and immediate disadvantage to everybody else in expressing yourself through that instrument that you know it can be discouraging. And I think when you have a brand new instrument, something that nobody knows, or might not even be that, you know. Amazing, but it's like it gives you an opportunity to have an instrument that's different and to maybe you could do things that nobody else has thought of before. You know, maybe like and that's the cool thing. Now I'm getting some feedback and some videos from the demo units I set out, you know, I sent out and I'm seeing people doing stuff that's like totally not what I would have done with it at all, you know. But that's you know, 
that, that's part of the fun of it. It's, uh, this you know, everybody's kind of operating it their own way. And I see that they're having fun with it, you know, so it definitely makes me happy to see it. That's cool. Awesome, man. So getting back to the Edison a little bit. Casper <laughs> shaking his head at me because I'm jumping all over the place. But I just, I've got all these questions that I've been wanting to ask for forever. And I just, it's all good, man. Um, are you doing, are you coming up with all the, the art? yourself for that was the, the question that was the question that was the question i lost 20 ah, minutes ago there it is. was yeah. the the yeah because you <laughs> man every edison you put out for for at least the first batch for sure um each individual one was just crazy different <laughs> and some of them were like man he must have spent two hours drilling and scraping that enclosure just to look like that <laughs> uh, well it's yeah, it's two parts, man. Like, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I do the artwork and stuff. I, I was in graphic design. I've I've made a living, you know, a few different ways. And uh, I was a graphic designer for a while, which you know definitely helped with this. Um, but the you know, and everything that you know, all the products are definitely mapped out and diagrammed out. You know, especially with Oscar and Q, you're making your work with like two square inches. You know, you, you have to diagram that stuff out. So that was you know, it was really helpful to have that background for that. But as far as that batch of Edison's, you know, I just wanted to do something wacky, man. So it's like, I got the enclosures back and I thought, all right, well, I sold out the first batch and those were black. So I can't do that again, you know? And, uh, uh, what do I do with this new batch, you know? And so I was thinking about it and I had done some of these scratch finishes, it's like a technique I'd been playing with for a while, you know, fancying myself an artist with the drill and pile, you know? And, uh, I said, you know, let me just, uh, I'll just take a risk. You know, once I had the, the enclosure's done. I said, I'll just go to the shed, you know, and I'll just lock myself in there for like, I think it was about 18 hours. And, oh, uh, man. That, you know, that puts and, a huge uh, smile on my face. Not that you suffered yeah. like that, but that like these, this was a one batch all at once. Yeah. Oh, it dude. was the one session. It was 18 hours, you know, and I'm in the shed, you know, uh, like it was, you know, it was late night. I started, I think at six. And so, um, you know, like basically I sat there, I had the drill, you know, I had my drill press and my file and I just went at it, man. And, you know, I just kind of went one by one. And uh, what was cool about it is like, if you kind of look at the shot, you know, in the old Instagram shot of each of the whole batch, you can kind of see the patterns develop and you can see different kind of motifs and ideas. I'd be like, Oh, this looks cool. This looks like a jellyfish. Let me try this. You know, yeah. <laughs> yep. it looks like a horizon or something. And, you know, I felt like I got kind of decent at really using the drill press and all these different bits to kind of get some kind of uh, symbolism across. You know, oh, they just for some, you know, totally whatever reason, worked. Killed it, man. Crushed it, absolutely. I so about I want to say maybe two years ago. I, I don't quite remember. I did a, a limited run of vinyls mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. for a single release. I did, and each vinyl, uh, every time I've done vinyls with my my record label, they're unique and one-off batches thing mm -hmm. we don't repeat them right and this this round we were struggling hard to think of what the heck to do with these and, I, and uh my wife suggested because i every once in a while i would doodle her a robot saying something stupid and i would leave it on a note for her mm. and she suggested why don't you do some robots and i said okay that sounds great and i had i think 27 final records 30 30 or something like that um, do you have one of these i don't think no i don't have a robot one um i had i had a it wasn't even that many vinyls, 30 at the most, to, yep. to draw robots on the covers of these vinyls. 
<laughs> and I wanted to shoot myself in the face <laughs> about a week into this because it, it became my whole life for like two weeks. It was like, okay, sit down, put on a dumb sci-fi movie, and then sit there and slave over these vinyl covers trying to come up with <laughs> unique robots for each. Danger Will I am Robinson, not a good danger. artist. <laughs> I ran out of smart robot ideas after an hour. <laughs> just two weeks later, we're still but drawing. But you these came out yeah. with some wicked little some, robots. Some of them are very, yeah. <laughs> some really good ones. There's some popular ones. People really, really like TV Bot in particular. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I look at it. I look at it. You know, you guys are musicians. You know the deal. It's like you get on stage, and sometimes you know you're just kind of rehashing the same stuff, and sometimes you get in a good spot. You know, whether you're improvising or just in the groove in the moment, and. Uh, it's hard to force that thing and it's hard to, you know, make that happen whenever, but I think it was kind of a lucky break. You know, a lot of them, the ones I didn't think were great, you know, I just got rid of them and I trashed it and, you know, I had to eat that. But every one that I really could look at and was happy with, I was like, this is, you know, this is cool. This is 18 hours of my life that I know is like, you know, worth, uh, I felt like each of the pieces that did go out, you know, were, were unique enough and I was happy enough with them that, you know, that it was something different. Because it's like, we're music fans, you know, it's just like you get into an improvisation with a guitar or a drill press or a file or you get into, you know, a creative fit. It's like, you like that stuff when you buy products, you know, and the clients liked it, just like they liked it when they saw your individual robots, just like we like, you know, small releases of records and, you know, goofy promo items from bands we love because that's what makes, you know, that's what makes it fun, man. That's what makes it a piece unique and, you know, unlike the mass-produced stuff that you buy, you know, elsewhere. Sure, but I don't think everybody could lock themselves in their work shed for 18 hours and come up with inspiring designs uh, 16 hours into it still. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think most well, of us would be tapped out of inspiration uh, hour two. Well, the, the trick was a lot of Bustello. <laughs> that was my flaw i was sober <laughs> i should have done this half cut <laughs> yeah no we keep it uh, you know we're, we're big fans of that stuff in the in the house you know we drink it like regular coffee and so there's always you know when i was ready to do it i made sure there was enough to last you know the whole session <laughs> And do you still do that with uh, batches of Edison's? Do you still do all the artwork individually? Each pedal is kind of its own thing? No, you know, I, I feel like it's like everything, you do anything twice and it becomes, you know, kind of boring to you. And it's just like, what am I going to do? I'm going to do the same thing like myself in my shed. And it's just kind of like, I don't want to, I don't want to do a bad sequel, you know? And I, I felt like, let me, you know, find a finish that I'm happy with for the third one that can let me do something different. And that ended up being a way to get them out there a little cheaper. You know, it's like, right. I didn't use the mirror. Yeah, you know, I didn't use uh, the second circuit board. I didn't use, uh, you know, the, the powder coat as well. And doing that, let me offer them to people at, you know, at 25 bucks less, you know, on the, on the retail, which really helped things, you know, and got, got them in the hands of a lot of people, you know, who wouldn't have had them otherwise. That makes me happy. Mm -hmm. You know, and I felt like they're so industrial looking, you know, I mean, it's just the wire brush. I wire brush the inside and it's just like the way the foot switches look without that donut cover on it. It just looks damn cool you know mm -hmm. uh, it is a cool it's like steampunk meets industrial I, st I still love it yeah no you know i was real happy with this so hopefully people dig it and you know it's different than the last ones and you know i give it the challenge to make sure that every single batch is different you know but i think it's important it's like you know we, we're a culture of mass-produced garbage that all looks the same you know and it's uh it's the reason people will spend a little bit more to shop local and buy from people that you know they, they, they 
no, you know, care about what they do and try to make something a little bit more interesting each time. Yeah. Oh, and I think you do. I think, I think that's kind of like the whole vibe of everything you've done as long as I've known you, uh, um, is it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Nothing's what anybody else is doing. You, you are embodying your ethos. Well, well, I appreciate it. You know, um, it's, you know, you, you do what you can with the time and the money that you have, you know? I mean, I got a million ideas. And if, again, if I was Steve Jobs, I can get them all out there. And sometimes it would be nice, you know, to get some of the ideas that really, I know it's like when I did the, uh, the pedal board, um, I don't know if you guys saw it on the feed, uh, the prey pedal boards. I recall. Yeah. I recall uh, anyway, you know, the pedal board. You know, I kind of figure out a way to where you can have a half rack system built into your pedal board, you know, and make it pretty good and functional. Um, but to really get production to scale for it to make sense would have been obscene, you know? So it's like, you've always got this battle of what you can do versus what the big guys can do, you know? And those limitations, you know, the uh, things you're kind of stuck with, um, but they also, you know, it's like playing the ukulele, you know, sometimes if you only got four strings, you can make some cool stuff that, you know, you don't hear on a guitar. Yeah. No, I love it, man. Uh, I think, I think you're, I think you're carving a really unique path in in this world, and and I think your brand is instantly identifiable at at a distance. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to be confused for uh, anyone else, and I think that's a really, really, really strong attribute. I appreciate it. you know the uh, the you know enjoying it and and doing stuff that you know makes you happy and putting out products you know is. Uh, it's almost uh, the easy part, you know, the, the harder part is making sure that the business works with it, you know, that you can keep doing it and that you can, you know, maintain, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, proper living while doing something that you really enjoy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you yeah. guys know that you know, I mean, we're all musicians, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk about business right now. <laughs> this virus is killing me. I hear you, bud. Uh, well, yeah, it's brutal, man. It's, uh, it's we're hitting our uh, we're hitting our time here, which is always yeah, right. kind of a bummer. But um, I, I do. I just want to say, man, on a like personally, from me to you, I'm so so grateful you came on the show. Um, oh, thank you, man. Likewise, been been looking forward to chatting with you for a long time, and as uh, as more than just a fanboy of what you do, but just as a buddy. Um, Really appreciate it, and, and we really love no, it. Right. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I'll definitely uh, keep up with your channel and recommend it to people, man, because, you know, likewise, we're all, we're all out there doing this, uh, you know, something we enjoy. It's a, it's an outlet to, you know, to show people, I guess, a little piece of something that they're, you know, haven't gotten to experience before. You know, and your show is a good example of that. Thanks. Yeah, Thank well, you. we're just trying to trying to make a light to stave off the infinite darkness of the void. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you everyone for listening to the show. Uh, it's been a blast. Seth, all the best, man. And uh, tune in next time to The Cultured Guitarist. Mm-hmm.